Allianz. Supporting all 32 counties through the Allianz Leagues. Tip the scale. Just remember that, then. There's a small bit of a needle there. Now, come on, Mayo. You've got to get Andy Moran into the game. This is a day of, of many questions, and here are just a few that we will be trying to ask. How do you make a successful team? What is the most important value in a dressing room and how do you separate out unsung heroes from bluffers? Why is Ray Dempsey no longer the Limerick manager and have Tyrone figured out the template for how every other team in the country should now go about beating Kerry? My name is Paul Rouse and I am joined by the former Mayo manager and footballer James Horn, by the former Donegal footballer and manager Jim McGuinness and by Morris Brosnan of the Irish Examiner. I think that every so often something happens in sport that's truly exceptional. And one of those things is Donegal winning the All-Ireland Senior Football Championship in 2012. It was exceptional in the fact that it happened at all, but also in the way that it happened. And it's one of those things that when you're on the outside, you're left wondering, how did they do that? And I suppose, Jim, I'll (laughs) ask you the question, how did you do that? Um, well, I suppose, first of all, Paul, um, we're all in a wee bit of shock with the news of uh, Liam Cairns. And uh, just from my own point of view, and I'm sure everybody else on the panel, to pass on our sincere sympathies to the Cairns families and indeed awfully, uh, the awfully footballers who I would imagine um, are in a very difficult space um, uh, for the last number of days. So, uh, uh, truly a, a huge shock to the system um you know when you when you see something like that and uh, a young man in his prime and training the team a couple of days previous it's uh, it's hard to take it in so um definitely from everybody here in Donegal our sincere sympathies um to the Cairns family yeah and i know we want to again associate ourselves with that we've recorded a and put out a tribute to to Liam Kearns on the podcast. But again, for Morris and James and myself, exactly, we uh, totally associate ourselves with those words. Thank you. Um, well, listen, that's a it's a very easy question you've started off there with, isn't it? Yes, yeah, yeah. How did you do it? <laughs> um, but listen, um, you know, everybody tries to climb that ladder um, whenever they get into football management. Um, it's it's really the holy grail, you know, playing for your county and then trying to manage. And obviously, for us, it was probably trying to get to a point where we were trying to be consistent um, in our approach and trying to be consistent in performances and results, ultimately. Um, and I suppose, go back to the Ray Dempsey situation, probably that's, that's something that probably will come into that conversation. Results are very important. Um, but it's a long road to to an All Ireland, and um, you know, from my own point of view, um, having played with Donegal and been involved with Donegal teams, um, and obviously in '92, but then there was there was a hell of a lot of pain, you know, associated with the team after that, um, and we had gone 19 years without winning a provincial title, and a lot of those years we had managed to get to provincial finals and not get over the line. So the um, the uh, there was a lot of sort of psychological baggage with the team um, and uh, trying to overcome that was was a big part of it uh, and trying to sort of, you know, climb that ladder. And, and it is, it's, it's small steps, it's it's small degrees. Um, if I work with a team now, it uh, doesn't matter, you know, soccer, Gaelic, whatever it is, and they have an ambition of doing something, um, I think the first question I would always ask them is, you know, what gives you the right to have that ambition? I think that's the first question you need to ask yourself. What gives you the right to talk about being a county champion or a provincial champion or an All-Ireland uh, winning champion? And for me, because everything has moved on so much, you know, the technical aspect of the game, you know, sports science, everything, coaching, tactics has moved on. You have to find a way to differentiate. You have to find a way to create separation. Um, and ultimately, you know, you need to be able to stand on a pitch and look at people and say, you know, I'm ready to take you on today. And uh, I think that was a big part of it for us, that we felt that we had to go. I felt that the team had to go in a different direction. Um, we had to um, work harder and train harder than probably they had ever did in their lives before. And, um, you know, people talk about mental toughness and 
players that are mentally tough or teams that are mentally tough. But you know, when you can look inside yourself and know that you've 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 left everything out on the pitch that you possibly could have every single night, then you start to you know get a, a quiet confidence that you're doing the right thing and that it's going to take a fair fella to hold you back or a fair team to hold you back. And I think that's that's the foundation block. Without that, you haven't got a hope in hell in many respects um, because everybody else is working so hard. Everybody else is so focused. Everybody else is spending the hours in watching the tape, watching other teams, doing their analysis. So finding that separation, I think, is is very, very, very important. Is there a particular value that you would have elevate above all others to have in a dressing room? Um, that's probably a bigger question in, in many respects. Um, for me, that would all come under one word, and that's culture. Um, you know, the, the culture of a team, uh, an organization, uh, is absolutely huge. And I think your value system comes from the culture. Um, and I just felt, you know, in terms of where we were at and where we wanted to get to, one of the first boundaries that we created was, you know, we wanted to be the hardest working team in the country. Um, and then everything you do comes from that, you know, so you can't just say that and put that up in lights and then go to train and then train at 70%. If you're the hardest working team, you're the hardest working team. Um, and we had the we had the luxury, if you want to call it that, of uh, training in Castle Finn in my first couple of years with Donegal. And anybody that knows Castle Finn will know that you're about a mile away from the Tyrone border. And um, we were able to easily point across uh, the couple of fields um, to Tyrone because they were the benchmark at that stage uh, in Ulster. You know, they won five Ulster championships and three All-Irelands. And if you were going to do anything in your own province, you had to navigate that problem. And um, and so... Uh, so yeah, we use that uh, you know as fuel for our own fire and as and for a benchmark. You know why are they doing it? How are they doing it? You know um, and uh, and try to sort of um, make sure that really we were competing with them. And if we were competing with them, we knew we could be in a good place in the province. And then if we could navigate that, I've always said this. You know I, I always feel that then once you you overcome your province, the thing opens up for you. It's a second championship. Um, and the Ulster Championship is such a minefield, you can't take your eye off the ball anyway. So for us, it was one step at a time in Ulster and trying to be as best equipped to take on Tyrone if we managed to, to meet them in them first couple of years. And in in this, I've seen you talk about Tremor out in Dunfanaghy as well then and the training and the sacrifice that was done there. How do you, how do you convince somebody to put that level of sacrifice and that level of of commitment into something i think it's very simple you know you have to try and explain to people that it's it's something bigger than yourself you know that this is about this is about where we were born where we were raised the team that we supported the county that we supported the county that we all had aspira aspirations to play for um and that those people were starved. Those people um, had become a laughingstock almost um, around the country. And that, um, that, that we were proud, you know, um, a proud football county, um, no more than Mayo and what they have done over the last 15 or 20 years in terms of the level that they've been competing at. You can't do that, not unless you're a, you're a very proud football and county that continually produces players. And uh, we would consider ourselves in that same bracket um, and the likes of a Galway and, and I suppose Tyrone, uh, have, you know, once they won their first All-Ireland, have consistently stayed at that level. And um, and so, yeah, something bigger than yourself um, is, is a huge part of it. You know, who are you playing for? You know, you're playing for your families, for your clubs, you know, your your mum and dad, your your girlfriend, whatever it is. And um and I think doing those people proud and doing your county proud um allows you to tap into something much more deeper than than just yourself. And then on a technical level, the style of football that you you brought into Donegal, which built, I think, on Donegal's strengths in terms of passing and movement and, and a lot of those things. Had you been thinking about that for a long time? 
Uh, well, I had been thinking about, you know, how I wanted to coach a team for a long time and looking at other teams and looking at Mick O'Dwyer's teams and John O'Mahony's teams and and Sean Boylan's teams and Joe Kernan's teams and all these, you know, people that brought people to an All-Ireland and, and what they did and, and their style and, you know, a lot of differences there. Like Mick O'Dwyer would have been very much running game, very strong running game off the shoulder sport would have been huge for his teams. Uh, Joe Kernan would have been very much uh, the opposite nearly, the, the kicking game and long balls inside and brilliant diagonal balls and, and uh, Stevie McDonald and people like that under them, you know. So you'd be looking at all of that, but really, um, going back to what I said earlier about where we were at as a county and where this group of players were at, um, what we decided to do was almost protect them psychologically by going defensive. Because in them Ulster finals that we spoke about when expectation did really, really increase in, in the county, we didn't just get beaten in finals, we, we, we got uh, destroyed in a number of them. And that's incredibly difficult then uh, to come back from. It's incredibly difficult then to get on the horse. You beat by a couple of points, um, it can be a different scenario. But if you're, you know, I think Donegal lost to Cork, 127 to nine points in, a, in an All-Ireland quarterfinal a year or two before I took over. Like, you know, that's... That's that's incredibly difficult to deal with. And and can you really look at that other team and go, you know, we are good enough to beat you. We are good enough to go pound to pound with you. We are good enough to take you on, you know. And so all of that played into let's not, let's be hard to beat. Let's stop hemorrhaging goals uh, and go from there and build a, a defensive structure that will allow us to do that. And ultimately um, an attacking structure um, to play out from. And, uh, and that, 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 that really was the the start point and the focal point for the team. James, how did you look at Donegal when Jim was managing them, in terms of their approach, in terms of in terms of what Jim was doing up there, and in terms of what you were doing in Mayo? Yeah, uh, obviously there were there were, um, and, and we had we had many battles down through years. Jeez, Jim, I'm thinking of. One of our first ones was on the sideline down in Swinford at the challenge match. Do, do you remember that one? I do. I do. Um, yeah. I thought you were crazy then. <laughs> but it was, it was a very interesting day. That was the first really encounter. What happened that was, day, James? Uh, it was it was a challenge match we had. I think you guys were down, Jim, for a few days. Were we in Sligo or something? And, and 2010, uh, end of 2010, start of 2011? Yeah, 2011. Yes, yes. So we, we, we just had a challenge and it was... It was uh, Let's just say it was very competitive. It was a very competitive game. I suppose there were two two teams in in, in similar positions in, in in one way, you know, trying to develop, trying to trying to maybe strengthen their identity, which is certainly what we we were doing. And maybe to build on what Jim was saying, I suppose the way I'd summarize it is is we were looking to you know get our identity, but you know through why we were doing this or why we were involved and why we wanted to play for Mayo. Um, you know, to, we we really did an awful lot of work on that. Um, again, back to, to you know who we're doing it for, who's important, why is it important, um, and 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 did a lot a lot of work on that. And then the how and the what comes after that, which is is probably more straightforward than in 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 what you're doing. So so that identity, that sense of who who we were, um, and the approach we took was you know day by day. How can we make today the best day we can to develop and grow as footballers? How can we make it the best session? Session is this going to be the? Can we make this the best session in the country on this Tuesday, on this cold Tuesday night? You know, here us, us the thirty of us. That that sort of sense, sense of purpose, identity, who we are, and, and just within our control. So we we did a lot of work on that, and and and, and look, we we you know built built obviously through that, and then. I suppose our shape as 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 a team came from we we had we had a specific skill set I suppose around our half back midfield line and we built our team and our approach through 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 that um, is where we are but we're looking at what what and look we've had, we've had many chats with, with with Jim on this down through the years what what they did in 2012 is normal look we 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 they they bet us um, that day and, and and fair and square they were they were they were, they were ahead of us. Um, what what you know people do you look back on that match and do you look back on that match and like does it dog you a little bit does it does it does it does it annoy you a little bit when you think about that match 
And look, every game you lose, you, it annoys you, yeah. but you, you, you move on very quickly. We 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 had no point resting on it. We we needed to improve and grow and develop, and that's what we we took the lessons from it as we did. And I know I sickened journalists for ten years saying the same thing, but that's exactly what it was. We 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 took the learnings from it and and, and moved and moved on. Um, but when I think of Donegal around then and 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 what what Jim did is people forget how well. And how much Jim developed some of those players. They they through the train, through the development, like their hand passing, their their running was was um, and I usually bring it back to the base again. Their running was very strong. And they brought in different line lines of running um that were strong, but their hand passing and the basics execution, I thought were far above anyone else. Uh, around that time so their hand pass was into the stride it was in front it gave the guy receiving the ball the best opportunity all of those kind of things the return rate from from shots taken um all all, all those little things so people talk about the, the tactical setup which which, which 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 was unique for sure but a lot of the skills of the game that you need to to build on a tactical setup were were there in abundance and some 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 fabulous players and 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 you know I thought that Jim through his time developed those very well so that that's what I that's what I take from from that manager set up teams different ways and and that's absolutely up up, up to them you're going to have to carry the change depending on the type of profile or type of player they have or whoever um, that's that is what it is but but for me from a coaching sense and looking at teams and and, and how they develop and grow is, is, is you know the skill set and, and the decision making of players that's what i find really fascinating yeah i think i think that's a really really good point about the hand passing and is there any particular thing jim that you did to improve the hand passing on of your donegal players well um to be honest with you we did a we did a lot of work on it but my my approach to coaching is that you don't need sort of the circus act you don't need the bells and whistles um it's about the basic skills and it's about the execution of the basic skills and then at a higher level inter-county football again if you want separation how quickly can you do those skills so we would have worked off very very simple exercises but what we were looking for was as, as fast as your legs can carry you, as quickly as your hands can do it. And if you start turning up the dial in a hand passing drill um, from the normal sort of, you know, if you blow the whistle now and you're with a club team and go for talking sake um, and they do their normal hand passing drill and you say, no, 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 no. I want this now to be as quick as you can do it. It's going to be absolutely littered with mistakes, mm. littered with mistakes. And that was our start point that, you know, it was okay to have 20 mistakes. Um, and this, I'm only talking now about a minute, a minute's work, you know, um, and it would be littered with mistakes. But the secret is to get from 20 mistakes to 18, you know, to 14, to 10, to seven, and still retaining the speed, the power, you know, really, you should never have the ball in your hand at all. You know, it should be taking the ball to do something with the ball. And if you're carrying the ball, you're leaving yourself open to a tackle at, at any given time. Um, you know, and nothing else, there's open ground in front of you and you can make use of that. There's no point having the ball in your hand. It's how quickly you can get it, have the decision made in your head where you want to put it before you get it and the ball goes. And then there's the the elements around, you know, and it, it, it's funny I didn't expect to get into this conversation, but breaking breaking that skill down then to like, you know, you'll see people, you see it at inter-county level all the time. I've seen it the whole way through the National League. People hand pass into a guy and the ball's at their feet all the time. You know, yeah. it's empty football and they can't put it on the chest. We call that the chest plate, you know, and we would only give the players from the neck to, to the waist. And if it's not there, it's not a hand pass. You know, you're working for it. And if you're working for it, it's not going to be perfect. One ball is played inside. Uh, and you catch that ball as a full forward and the runner coming off, you might get one chance to score a goal in the game and you're going to give it too hard, too soft, too low, too high, uh, and that chance is gone. And so uh, I suppose James tipped on that a wee bit earlier. It's just those smaller details and being being relentless and going after them, I think is the most important thing. Not James, there's, a, there's an interesting point there just to, to, to come in that, and again, I'd be interested in your, your thoughts on it. Like, 
if you go to watch an, a lot of coaching sessions now, it is cones everywhere. A lot of coaches have downloaded stuff off the internet and there's complex, intricate drills that, that for me, in a lot of cases, miss, miss the point. Like, I don't know what you think of this, but if you do a simple, basic hand-passing drill before a game, I say at the start of a training session, player, a lot of players will default into, you know, and it's a, it's a loop pass. They take it at the mm -hmm. wrong angle. They, take it, they have to check their stride to go slightly behind them. Slightly, like if a, if a pass goes slightly behind you at inter-county level in, a, in a, a provincial championship, you'll get smashed. Chance is gone. That one goal chance, two goal chance. So if, if you look at those, I'd say the majority of those drills are, are carried out incorrectly. The player isn't developing. They're not realizing how important it is that it's into their stride. It's in the in, in the sweet spot, um, that they're breaking through the tackle uh, as opposed to you know having to stop and get getting hit. So if you just do a simple hand pass and drill, but you then increase the pace of that, that players have to drop and do twenty or whatever if it's not in the sweet spot, or whatever it is, or they have to take it at the right angle. The whole drill typically goes to chaos. Before you start to, all right, let's get this element of it right, that element, and you'd be amazed at le at football at the at the highest level how how sometimes that is, you know. I go back to we mentioned Jim, but I go back to Dublin. I keep mentioning it when they were at their absolute height, their hand passing was at a different level. So yeah, if your hand passing isn't right, you're missing goal chances basically at the end, you know. So so it, like I think sometimes I agree with Jim completely on that one. Sometimes the simpler. It is, and you build it from there, the better. So if we break this down, sorry, Jim, off you. No, I was going to say, and you're also creating this um, positive reinforcement loop. You know, we can do this. We can do this really well. We're really, really good at this. Is there anybody better? Because there's a simplicity there, and once the simplicity is there, you're working. Now, I'm saying there's a simplicity there. To get it right, as James speaking about there, there's probably eight or nine or ten things that need to happen in order to get it right. And I think a lot of people will stand back and they'll blow the whistle. And then when it's not right, they'll go, geez, that's not great. You know, but the reality is it's the nine or 10 things that need to be nailed and the intensity that needs to be nailed and then back at it and go it again. And players will always, they will always sort of return to the default button, which is at 70, 75%. And so finding a way to open them up and to stretch them and to, to bring all these coaching points uh, to bear, you know, and, and a quick time frame uh, between the, the minute or two, I think is, 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 inc is incredibly important, you know? Yeah. I, 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 so we, if we look at it, you're playing, your commitment comes from doing it, something that's greater than yourself. Your, your effort to get fit is fundamental. Your technical skills have to improve day after day, week after week, month after month, season after season. And then you have to separate out those who are truly committed from those who are possibly bluffing. How well, do you do that? I, I don't know about that, to be honest with you. You asked me a question earlier, and I, probably, I didn't probably answer the question. And the question was, what is, what what word or one thing like? And I suppose, you know, now that we're in the conversation, it's probably... From my own point of view anyway and what we tried to do and where, where we tried to go with was a purity that there was a purity to what we were doing in the sense that like once you've given everything there's nothing left to give and so if you can get to that place then you're in a really good and that's a very pure place because you can get to that place and you can go into crow park against dublin as james spoke about there dublin and 13 14 15 and everything and you can still come out second best there's no shame in that because every single thing you've done, you've taken the right road, you've decided to do it the right way, you've given it everything in your body, and you've just come out the wrong side of that result because you met an absolutely phenomenal team. And I think for a lot of sports team, and I'm, I'm putting all the sports into this, there's a bullshit production. And people are involved in teams, and people would maybe project they're committed and that they're working hard and, and all but there's a bullshit production going on behind it and that is that everybody knows that in reality here boys there is actually 20 percent, 25 percent more in our locker if we really 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 want to tap into that 
And I think the coach's job is to tap into that because I think once you start tapping into that and people start getting a sense of, Jesus, I'm I'm almost I'm almost being liberated here because this is what I've been waiting for all my life. I've been I've been part of the 70% brigade all of my life, and all of a sudden now this is a wee bit crazy. It's a wee bit mad. It's a wee bit off the cuff. How far can we take this? That's a that's a whole different sense of uh, emotions that you're tapping into there for a player. And I think I think when that box is opened, players become they, they become very engaged and all of a sudden they're in a place where they maybe never thought that they were going to be. And again, there's no, there's no guarantees here. There's no, you know, nobody's saying that you're, you're guaranteed to achieve, but you're definitely putting yourself in a place that you're going to be competitive. That's for sure. You're going to be competitive and you're opening up these questions maybe that haven't been opened up previously. Do you think some of the Donegal players thought you were mad? Well, I'm pretty well. I think definitely on the first day because on the very first day, <laughs> on, on the very first day, um, there was 33 of us. We were down in Dunfanaghy for training, and I went round the whole circle and I looked every one of them in the eye and I said, "We will be Ulster champions. We will be Ulster champions. We will be Ulster champions." 33 times. So I think by the time I got to the 33rd fella, that definitely there was a sense of that in the group, and that was before we done any work on the pitch that was the very 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 first thing we did in the very first training session and between that and one in the, the, the provincial championship i said it three times before every session um and so that part of it i think is is very important um i always tell this story you know um we won the ulster championship and we were on the way home uh on the bus from clonus and uh i was sitting up the front of the bus and i was having um it can only be described as one of the, the tastiest bottle of Heineken I've ever had in my life. And um, <laughs> and Eamon McGee, I think he's a Damon on there, how'd you? He did, yeah. Eamon was sitting beside me, you know, when we were just um we were just chatting, you know, and uh, it's one of those moments because I was waiting, you know, from ninety-two to try and get another provincial championship as a player. It never happened. Uh, and it was one of those moments when we were just chatting and there was kind of a lull in the conversation, and I turned around to him and I said, Jesus hard to believe, isn't it? You know, uh, just casually, uh, and uh, he turned around to me. He says, "Are you fucking joking me?" <laughs> hard to believe. He says, you, "You've told us every single day for the last nine months that we're going to do it. Now you're telling me it's hard to believe." <laughs> and um, that's the power. That's the power of messaging, and that's the power of suggestion, and that's the power of um, sending people in a certain direction and backing that up with behaviors and actions on the pitch you know and uh, that was a great moment for me to hear him say that because i knew that they were in a they were in a different place you know what talk um about what's happening this year for a second and Tyrone beating kerry um in the league last weekend weekend before last and beat them back to 21 in the semi-final and so I'm fairly certain of one thing in this world, and that is if you want something to be done badly, you should ask an academic because most academics that I know, I wouldn't put them in charge of a doll's house. And I include myself in that. <laughs> the only people who can possibly compete in the incapacity to do things in this <laughs> level who I wouldn't put in charge of that are journalists, wow. which means leaves me doubly in trouble here because of doing a bit of journalism and a bit of everything. So what we thought we would do, <laughs> given knowing you were coming on, Jim, and James were there, is we thought we'd ask Morris to break down why it is that Tyrone have beaten Kerry. And Morris, Morris is fairly confident he has it figured <laughs> out, Morris. Is that right? You have the template. This feels like Tom <laughs> encouraging Jerry to lie down on the train tracks there for a quick rest. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so, so no, let's 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 explain why why Tyrone have beaten Kerry, and it comes down, Morris, to what you're saying about stopping Kerry kicking the ball. Is that it? Do you have stats on that on on, on the manner their success in stopping Kerry kicking the ball? Yeah, that's one kind of very basic element of what Tyrone do very well against Kerry. Um, you mentioned 2021. I'd probably throw 2019 in there as well, even though Kerry won that game. But in 2021, you just look at Kerry's four main outlets that day. There were Thomas Sullivan, Stephen O'Brien, 
Gavin White and David Moran combined, they had seven kick passes, I think. That's the exact same number that Conor Myler had there. So now that does nothing in get football happens in isolation, Paul, as I'm sure the two lads will be able to tell you in a second. And how that happens and how you set up a team to do it are two very different things. So I'm as you mentioned there, I'm very well able to tell you how it happened, how you set up a team to do it. And if it'll happen again, it's probably more in the wheelhouse of the two lads. But fundamentally, yeah, that's it. They Tyrone are very, very good at stopping Kerry kicking the ball. They do that mainly through kickouts, and that then leads to, to turnovers. And how do they they do this? They do it in a way, first of all, by the, taking on the Kerry kickout, uh, or not yeah. taking it on. Yes. How, what exactly do they do? So in, t- in 2021, Tyrone or Kerry had 100% on their own kickout. So they got every single kickout off. They got a target. No, off their own kickout that day, they only scored five points. So you have to wonder why is that happening you go back to last weekend again Kerry scored five points after one kickout they had 15 kickouts that they got off successfully only eight of them ended in shots and so if you and this goes back to what James has been fairly consistent on on this podcast if you are consistently kicking the ball short I mean over and over and over again you have to work through every line of the opposition to get a shot off so that's a lot of hard work if you can't at some point get a long ball off it means that you're fairly routinely running the ball which Kerry did that weekend so there's a perfect there's a five window minute window i'd encourage any coach who wants to, a better illustration of what james was talking about there go back and watch just before half time last weekend where uh michael mccarran is carrying the ball straight down the throats stefano can fouls him a foul that's really important in terms of getting a press on so tyrone kicked their free big press on kerry have to go along out the field they lose that tyrone score again what happens the referee goes up and books he shows david clifford the yellow card another break in play that means that he can organize a press again Kerry go along again, that ends in Conor Quinn scores a point. So from three points down before half time, they've been able to get a press on. They're now level going in after the break. Uh, when Canavan punches that ball over in the second half, again, there's this big long break and play. The subs coming on, referee is talking to um, Paul Murphy. Big press on, Donnelly wins that ball, it goes up, McCurry kicks them into a lead, and they're never behind from there. So if you can't get it off long ever, it means that you're going short and you're running the ball. So when you look at Tyrone and they've got 1-7 off their own kickout last Sunday versus Kerry with five points, it just means that Kerry find it a lot more difficult to get scores off. Now, there's, there's other things that have to filter into that as well. Matchups. So matchups matter. Massively, yeah. And that's, that is why, you know, for all the... I would love to be able to market this as the blueprint to beating Kerry, but I, part of me does think Tyrone... Have I oversold, in... Morris? If I've oversold, <laughs> I apologise. But you're doing... On the for matchups... See, Tyrone are uniquely well-placed in their ability to counter this Kerry team. They were in, in 2019, which I'll come back to in a second. In 2021, Conor Myler, who you know, spoke very openly about the, how his alleged capacity, there's probably not many other players in the country who could match up with Paddy Clifford for 70 minutes, go stride for stride with Paddy Clifford for 70 minutes. Ironically, the only other player who I saw do it in the last couple of years was Lee Keegan in the quarterfinal last year, and he's no longer around. But even players with incredible matchroom 50 minutes and then they, they just hire and um, that's what happened to young football earlier last year Jack Lane he, he did really really well on Polly Clifford for much of that final but towards the end it, it didn't work out so that's a really good matchup Park Hampsey in 2021 I don't know if you remember the success he had on you go Michael Murphy Tomas Galligan final against Monaghan Connor McManus semi-final Sean O'Shea got, probably got the better of every single one of them the only pair who Maybe it might have got the better of him was uh, Conroy in the final, but up until then, he was brilliant. He went to David Clifford. Now, on the other side, you know, you talk about one of Kerry's best attackers, a kick pass option is Thomas Sullivan, but Kerry don't really have another matchup for Darren McCurry, so he ends up following him everywhere. He kept him scoreless, but it also means that he doesn't really have as much ability going forward, which, as we'll come to, was pretty important. And then in midfield, they have two nearly traditional old school guys who you can kick a ball out on top of them, they'll fight for everything. and. Kerry don't have that anymore because David Moore is no longer around. So they're, I think they're uniquely well-placed to match up pretty well in almost every line with, with Kerry. You stop them kicking, you match them up, and then you swarm them in tack turnovers. Yeah, and that's what I, I meant by nothing happens in isolation in Gaelic football because you can't... If you're consistently going short, it means you're constantly running the ball and that means you're running into contact against Tyrone. Now, for some teams, some teams are pretty good at running the ball, Kerry aren't one of them. So that's, you watch 2021, they had 30 turnovers in the attacking third. And that is just running into a, a team's throat who, you know, you run into them, they make hay, absolutely swallow your hole there and re- rewind back out of that. 
no, Kerry kind of learned from that the All-Ireland final and last year, for example, they had only seven turnovers in the attacking third, but go back to last weekend, that number nearly doubled, they're up at 13. And that is just, you know, think back on that game, think of Stefano Burr carrying into contact, being swallowed up, David Clifford. Some of these are borderline, by the way, someone could be, nearly be a free in, but it just so happened that Tyrone got the, the rub of the green, so... Suddenly, Kerry are getting nothing. They got, I think, after a long kickout, they scored two points in total last weekend. So they end up having to run a, a lot of ball. They're getting absolutely nothing off Tyrone's kickout because Morgan is so accurate. So they're reliant basically solely on turnovers. So, but and that's what I, what I mean. None of this stuff happens by itself. You know, what you do with your kickout feeds into how what you do with turnovers feeds into how you attack. It also feeds into how you defend. So I, that's why I think. Tyrone are kind of uniquely well-placed to set up as well as they did against Kerry. And the testament to that, by the way, Paul, if you go back to 2019, they're three points up. They're really, Kerry are, are in trouble that day. And what the Kerry do, they bring on Jack Sherwood and uh, Tommy Walsh. Jack Sherwood is a really good kick passer. Tommy Walsh is a focal point inside. Tommy Walsh wins the ball, lays it off to Paul Ganey. They're one point down. A long kick out on, out on top. Who breaks it? David Moran. They go up the other end of the field. And then the goal, think back on... The, the Stephen O'Brien's goal that's a long kick pass after a turnover that they get out after that so if you have the ability to, to get out long it means teams set up differently against you whereas if they know it's the same thing over and over and over again this is a very as I'm sure the lads are about to tell me this is a very very basic explanation of how it works well yes. well, I think I think Morris I think that's I think it's excellent but I'm really looking forward to the two examiners <laughs> and, and and what Jim and James have to have to say about it well who wants to go first Morris, have you ever have you ever been involved in a backroom team? Have you? Uh, not, no, no. Of any I, description? Oh, sorry. Yeah, uh, I have. Yeah, but not uh, not an intercounty level. Yeah, 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 yeah. Your 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 recall on games is and 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 incidents is really really impressive. Be very useful to have in a in a support capacity for sure. Look, of course, of course, what you're saying, um, that is right. Like, but when you're talking. When you're talking, you know, matchups, you know, kick out strategy and you know how you how you're what you what you press, you know, that's you you that's that's probably an you know blueprint for for you know how you play as a team or for, for the majority of games, you know. Um like the the kick out one is really interesting because a lot of teams go short and if you give it to them, they, they go short, but a lot of teams now are, are teams are starting to move that as I, as I said to you before you know when you, you know if you're against a, a rory vegan or or whoever nile morgan that have that low trajectory kick that can go seven yards right over the top of the midfield and you, you know we saw maddie donnelly the last day running onto a ball you know one one kick over the top and they're they're through on goal so there, there's an awful lot that's important like so teams now will set up they'll invite you potentially to go short and they'll set their trap so you know you give it to that that cornerback or that guy that whatever you know you would draw back into a into you know you, you sort of semi press or you do a split press on maybe the other side and you give it to that guy but you're going to get him in the middle of the field because you'll have a guy set up to, to get him or what, whatever it is so and as you say that if you're taking it short every time it takes effort it takes you know you're running it out it's hard the opposition know what you're going to do so they're set and they have, they have their play ready to go so so it can be very difficult Plus, you've got a runner from one end of the field to the other, through this, through you know, six lines, beaten players, whatever, whatever. And every pass or every tackle that you incur, the risk of you losing the ball goes up. Do you know? In 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 very simple terms. So, if you're talking about a kickout strategy, like you're you, in in my opinion, you, you got to mix that up. Like, in you can look at it one way: the further you can kick the ball, say for example, if you have a win, the further you can kick that ball. And set up to give yourself a high probability of winning the first phase or, or, or the second phase with, with with numbers around the break. Doesn't that make more sense maybe than sometimes, you know, actually giving free free two guy at, at the cornerback? So so there's lots of different things things there. As, as regards the matchups, um I think I, I, I think you're right. Um you know that we've seen a lot of Kerry recently and you you know the way they want to play. You know where their threats are. How, how many times, even in this league, have we seen Thomas Sullivan sneaking up along the the, the, the sideline and the slicer over the bar? Um, you know he is their he is their man marker, but at the same time, a huge part of his man marking is when Kerry get it, he goes, he goes. You know because he wants to suck the opposition's top guy out of out of there as well. So there's a lot going on there. He so did it what, brilliantly what against Mayo in the semi. I did, yeah. He he he, 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 he did, yeah, and he did it well. Really 
he did it well and tried to adapt and change, but but, but did that well. So then you've got you you've mentioned Gavin White as well. So you know how Tyrone is set up. But Gavin White is real danger, and Kerry are seriously missing him in the league. Yeah, he is. He is a massive, massive threat. If you're if you're playing Kerry, and I'm sure Tyrone, where you we were talking through how Tyrone set up, he's danger because he's that pace. He's that Jack McCaffrey. He has that sort of level of pace that you know through through a transition you're in trouble if you lose the ball. You can't get your shape. You can't you can't get set up. So so he's 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 definitely one. Just back to the kickouts, and I'll let, let Jim go back to the kickouts. David Moore is a massive loss uh, for Gary. Yeah. Um, there, his his strength. Is Jack currently and, and, is and Jack craft. currently doing everything he can to get David Moore and to say come back for one summer, come back please. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what Jack is. I'm sure Jack is trying everything to to do everything he can to make Kerry as as competitive. But he's a big loss. Like his fielding ability and his foot foot passing ability yeah. is a much un, un, unmentioned thing about David. Are, are massive, and other players got confidence from from him or, or, or around the setup. So, but to, to summarize, you know, Conor Myler, you know, what a player, and, and and what a couple of years he's gonna have can take anyone out. And again, he is on the counter attack when he has the ball as well. The amount of ball that he's handled over the last two two and a half years for Tyrone is massive. So he's a massive player. So him him being a, an option to to, to mark a carry guy, but again, the inverse becomes true as well. Anyone's playing Tyrone, you know. What do you do with Conor Myler, and can you can you prevent Conor Myler from doing Conor Myler things? So, it's all that it's all that kind of kind of kind of, of, of stuff. But the, look at the matchups again. The last point: matchups are are so important, and you have your four or five players that you can you, you can look to to put to put on the opposition. But in that, you need to make sure that when you're moving your four or five key players to sort of neutralize some of them, that you're not taken away from the power of your game, because that's the danger that can you look too much nearly sometimes at the opposition and it takes away a bit of your it takes away a bit of your power. So look, loads in the Mars. I don't know did I answer everything for you, but but yeah, uh, Jim, Jim, do you loads. agree with James? Where where do you where do you stand on this? Or do you agree with Morris? No, I I think just well my own recollection of the game was that Tyrone got everything right. You know, they got everything right tactically and they they got the matchups right as well. The matchups were very, very important. The one with Potty Clifford and Connor Myler was incredibly important for them because he was he was connecting um the defense and the attack for them very well up to that point and up and during that season. Um Tyrone uh, that day did go high on them on a number of occasions, but they picked their moments to go high on them in the and in, in the attacking third and um and asked that question. Um they didn't do it every single time and the times that they did do it they knew that they could get pressure. But 80%, no, that's probably wrong. About 50% of their game then was in a mid-block. And I we, we covered that game and we were in the Nally stand, I think it was. And there was actually space um, for Kerry to kick over the block and into the full forward line. The problem was that Tyrone were so well organised and up for the game so much that they, they were constantly getting pressure on the ball. And to Morris's point, that was forcing them to play a shorter game. And because of that, they couldn't lift their head uh, quickly enough and find that pass in behind. But it was actually 3v3 in the full back line. And then the full forwards came back inside the middle block. And then the halfbacks pushed out. And you had a lot of bodies in that area. And they made it very, very difficult for them. And when, when Kerry did manage then to move forward, as they were going to do, what Tyrone did brilliantly that day was they defended the day. They defended the D incredibly well with a lot of intensity, but will also with a lot of discipline. And actually, in, in actual fact, that gave them the platform to win the game, not because of what they were doing defensively, but because when they turned the ball over, Kerry were so desperate to try and penetrate that they kept pushing players on and they were then really open. The, the goals from a Tyrone point of view came from them transitional moments. Um, but to be honest with you, that, for me, wasn't the reason why Kerry lost the game. The reason why Kerry lost the game was because they had a very similar tactical approach to Tyrone, but the difference, and they were in a mid-block for most of the game as well, and leaving full backs exposed, maybe with a plus one. But the difference was Tyrone brought that intensity to defend in the D, whereas Kerry let players run off them, and big scores and big moments came from that, and that was the difference between 21 and 22. Like even in that game, I remember I think all three of the fullbacks scored for Tyrone coming from deep, 
And that was because the people that were marking them didn't track them all the way and that they went half of the way, three quarters away. The they kept going one more ball in behind and, and it ended up in, in simple tap over points. So um, Kerry struggled. Uh, and if my memory serves me, they struggled physically as well. They struggled, you know, there was a lot of guys going down with cramp in that game. And um, and uh, Tyrone were in phenomenal shape. They were ready for that championship. There's no doubt about that. Good age profile, good athletes, done a lot of work in the gym themselves. And the tactical approach that they took to the game fitted the, where they were at physically. I think it was a really good match. So they just got everything right. They got everything right and and um, and managed to get over the line. And I'll add one more thing. David Clifford didn't finish the game. David Clifford was got injured at a key moment. And I, I think that's... I don't even think it was an injury. I think it was. I think it was cramp. I think it was fatigue, and I think that was one of the big things going into the previous, the following year. Then that they, you know, that there was there was a number of them that that happened to on the day, and uh, and there was a lot made of the fact that there was a, a significant break into the game, um, and that they, you know, between the monster final and, and that game. Yeah, well. yeah. And and it and and it did it. I, w- I want to move on again, Morris. You broke the story last week about Ray Dempsey. Uh, leaving, leaving the, the the Limerick job. What 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 is the story? Uh, yeah, I brought up with my colleague John Fogarty. There's there's a there's a short term answer to your question, Paul, and a kind of a longer answer. And there's probably a, the short term issue and a, a long term issue. Um, and James has said kind of consistently in this podcast that we don't know what's going on in the camp, and it's probably not fair to talk overly about that. So if we stick to the facts for a second, Ray Dempsey was confirmed as Limerick manager in October of last year crucially to my mind anyway he was confirmed without a backroom team which is a very difficult thing because then it's a month later over a month later when that's finally confirmed so you spend the start of your regime trying to put that together um, and maybe the lads can speak about this better but it just strikes me that you're already on the back foot if you're announced kind of late and not I know you're not allowed to train but given every the amount of work that was into being an intercounty manager I think it must be very difficult to start at step one be on that back foot, put together a coaching ticket and then try and get up and running in November. Um, and then obviously the league hasn't gone as well as has been kind of disastrous for, for Limerick. So it's my understanding after the court game, players kind of met that week and discussed where they're at and where they want to go. And a week later, uh, last Thursday night, Red MC kind of realised that it wasn't working out on either end and decided to step aside. So... That's the um, short term. And what's the longer term issue? Uh, yeah, so that's the... I'm glad you asked that because the, the short term is the one that will get in the headlines. And um, I think there's there's a fundamental misunderstanding, and this is particularly prevalent in media. I'd hold my hands up here on this as well. Between the, There's a big difference between good people and good structures. So what got Limerick to Division 2 to a Munster final, winning the McGrath Cup last year, I, I think was good people. If you go back to 2016, they're relegated to Division 4. They haven't won a championship game since 2012. Declan Broder stepped, or John Broder stepped aside, sorry. They're at a very low ebb. And they put together a football selection committee. And on that committee, this is to pick a manager, on that committee is Billy Lee. And whether he was late to a meeting or they were all early, he turned up one day and the committee turned around and said, you should take this job. So he did. He, he decided he was going to take over Limerick. And, and Billy told me this in, in an interview a couple of years ago. He was very conscious of the unique dynamics within Limerick football, the, the history, the club rivalries, their sense of place, the pecking order, and made a decision. They had Paddy Sand for a little while, but he made a decision. His entire backroom team kind of needed to be Limerick. They needed to know the state of play. They needed to understand it. So for the last three years of his regime, it was an entire Limerick backroom team, 100% from coaches all the way down to you know, your support staff. Um, now, uh, Billy was what Billy was brilliant at was that he so famously in 2018 he went to war with the county board. But if you actually go back and check what that was about, that's just basic stuff. That was about getting fed after training. It was a player wasn't eligible to play in a championship game because he wasn't registered on time. And beyond that, he did not make a big deal out of various things that he could have. At one stage, they went through three years. They played in nine different home venues. You know, I, I remember last year there was people talking about a side effect of JB McManus. And his funding of the Limerick hurlers might have been that the footballers got to where they were. Like the Limerick footballers had difficulty sourcing a training ground with floodlights for the last couple of years. The hurlers were off in Portugal last week. They're in worlds apart. Um, but there was great people involved in Limerick football. Brilliant people like Adrian O'Brien, who was from Clamalacus, British Athletic Conditioning coach, worked very closely with the lads. Someone like Billy Lee, 
you go down to the grassroots in the academies, a lot of former players, the last great Limerick team, that Limerick team that actually which uh, Liam Kearns, uh, God rest him, was involved in, a lot of those players kind of took it upon themselves that they could not stomach how low Limerick football had gotten. So people like Paul Connert go up and set up an academy, uh, brilliant people like Shawnee Buckley and Ian Lane and uh, Pat Ranahan. And I probably shouldn't have even mentioned names because I'm leaving people out here, but they all went and got involved as games development officers. But crucially, right, they're all volunteers. And at the same time as all this is happening, there's a report published in 2019 that a report into Limerick football, how a low lead they're at. And I, I've read that report and a couple of recommendations in that. And, and this is this is what I'm getting at here. A couple of recognitions that were so fundamental. Like they, one of the things was they, and they announced this publicly that they were going to hire uh, a games development officer, a full time games development officer. And crucially in Limerick, you have to be a full time games development officer because, you know, while the lads are doing brilliant work, if they want to get into schools, get into clubs is one thing. But in Limerick, you've got hurling and rugby and soccer and then football. So it's not clubs you need to be starting with. It's schools. You need to get lads into clubs first. And to get into schools, you can't be working a nine to five. You can't be a volunteer. Because if you are, and I know for a fact this happened, if you're getting into schools, you're either taking holidays, or you're taking unpaid leave, which again, that's brilliant. Those For them to do that, they deserve immense credit. This is not a criticism of them. But structurally, that's a problem. You need a kind of a full-time position. So that was 2019. They announced that they're going to hire a full-time games development officer. We're sitting here talking on the March 2023. No news about that full-time officer yet. So suddenly... Billy Lee is no longer involved in Limerick football. Paul Connerk is no longer involved. He is no longer in the academy. There's still great people there. Uh, Adrian O'Brien, who I mentioned, the strength and conditioning coach, how well-conditioned that Limerick team is no longer involved. And Limerick are, I think there, there's a cliff face there. There was a golden opportunity to take advantage of all the goodwill around the great work Billy Lee did to really embed some proper structural change. And for whatever reason, a lot of it didn't happen. So I think you can be, you can be reliant on, on great people, but it'll only get you so far because when those great people go, there's a huge void there. Um, so you need to kind of embed stuff beneath that. So that that's the that's long-term answer. It's kind of a fascinating insight into how, how a county can find itself in a position and then kind of basically let it go from itself. And I, I, Jim, I can't let you come on to this podcast and leave without asking you about Donegal because I hear echoes, of, at least in part, of some of the things that you hear coming out of Donegal from what's being said there in about 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 Limerick in terms of structures and in terms of development squads and things moving going forward. Now I I cannot understand from listening to you the way you've spoken on this podcast, I cannot understand how you cannot be in a Donegal dressing room. Uh, well, um, that's, that's a, a load of question, Paul. But uh, <laughs> well, no, it, well, it, well, no, it is a load of question. I, I'll ask it differently then. Why are you not in a Donegal dressing room? Well, that was a, I suppose, that's a conscious decision on, on my own part. I'd sort of, um, you know, I'd been involved uh, at soccer at a high level for a number of years. Um, just finished my pro license. Um, obviously, the Donegal job came up in the summer, um, and there was a lot of people looking for me to get involved, uh, you know, behind the scenes and wondering what I would sort of take take something on or do something. And, um, you know, when that happens, it's it's difficult because, you know, obviously your heart and soul is, you know, where you're from. But I, I kind of knew that I was just finishing my pro license. I wanted to see what was going to sort of come out of that and move forward professionally uh, in that area. I'm in, in Dublin this week working with the FEI with their UEFA a licensed coaches and I, and I love that part of it and love that sort of aspect of it so it was it was very difficult for me not to take it and they did they did call me and they, they, they spoke to me and asked me and I explained that but I did also explain that I was uh, I wasn't going to be going to go away into the summer we had come home we had made that decision as a family and so I knew I was going to be here up until the summer at least and um and so uh, I said that I was, you know, available to do something with the team or help with the team. Um, Rory and Carl um, were considering that situation, and I was going to sort of go along with them. Um, and then that didn't you work. You would out. have gone in with Rory, Rory Kavanagh, and and Carl Lacey. I well, I mean, Rory and Carl, you know, for want of a better word, are your babies. You know, they're the guys that sort of, you know, you 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 coached, and you know. I wanted to see them sort of go on the right foot and help them and, you know, things like this, things like the media and, you know, 
the first year in management is is it's off the the charts it's crazy you're trying to pull 50 different things together putting processes in place all that thing so to go in with them and help them and sort of be a mentor to them and, and a tutor to them help out with the coaching all of that and i said that to the county board um and uh, then when the rolly thing didn't work out they never they never came back to me they never they never we never had another uh, conversation you know but the one thing that i found disappointing uh, about sort of what had happened was um whenever they decided that they were going to put the management team that they have now in place the whole thing was supposed to be a, a confidential process but the night that the new management team was named um you know everybody that was interviewed for the job was name checked uh, and i found that I found that difficult because I was having conversations with the county board saying, you know, I'm going to be here up until the summer anyway. I'm, I'm happy to help. I'm happy to do something. Uh, and then whenever they named the, the management team that's there uh, for the year this year, um, they said they'd spoken to me. They'd spoken to Rory Kavanagh. They'd spoken to Mark McCune. They name checked everybody. And it was almost like they were sending the signal that, you know, we've asked all these guys and they don't want it. Um, and, you know, and sort of if you were turning your back, um, you know, on your county to a certain extent. And that wasn't the case because I had said to them that I was uh, happy and available. And even Carl had asked me, um, you know, when we were speaking about the academy there, Carl had asked me would I do something with the under-14s. Uh, and I said that I would. I said that I would help them out with the under-14s. And I know Michael was going to get involved with the team as well, Michael Murphy and stuff. So, so that was disappointing that sort of, you know, on the back of having conversations around willing to help and trying to help, that um, the door was closed in many respects um, on me, uh, and then um, and then sort of the word was filtered out at the county board meeting that all these people had been spoken to. But I didn't feel that that was a true reflection, sort of of what had actually happened behind the scenes, if that makes sense. So it's it's a difficult one. Like, and I I only wanted to do I only wanted to get involved because I knew that I was going to be I was going to be around. I was doing similar types of things. With a, with a team in Louth, and you've Martin in Louth, and uh, done a bit with my own club last year. And so, you know, it was that type of a scenario and, and just, look, being available and willing to help out at, at a certain level, you know. But at the moment, the whole thing's very, very fractured because, ironically, whenever they called me and they asked me about doing the job and I said that I couldn't for those reasons and, you know, professionally trying to stay focused on the soccer for now, um, I had asked about Carl. Uh, Carl Lacey, you know, in relation to the to the job and the and the message that I was I got at that stage was that he was doing such a brilliant job in the academy that they didn't want to interfere with that. So that and uh, uh, you know, and that is the God's honest truth. That was what I was told. So, um, so yeah, it's it's difficult, and you know, now you have a situation where, like my own fella, like you know, um, he was at under fourteen trials before Christmas. They'd done three or four. Saturdays in October, one into November, and they were supposed to be back. They haven't been back since, and you know we're we're heading for we're in the middle of March now. Like, and the um, the under 16s are a month away or six weeks away, something to that effect from the Bunkrana Cup, and they haven't done anything. So it's there's a bit of a there's going to be a lost year, I feel, for the underage players in the county, and that's that's devastating, particularly for parents, you know, that have children involved. That is devastating, you know. So um, and uh, the coaches have gone out in support of Carl and um, and uh, and I'm not sure if they're going back, uh, to be honest with you, you know, and and, you know, I live in Donegal and when you live in, in, in a county, you hear everything that's on the street, you know, when I'm sure outside the county, people will hear things as well and they'll hear, you know, whispers, you, you mentioned that at the start of this. Um, but there is a lot of things being said and there's a lot of bad things being said. And, I, you know, I just don't think there's a place for that, um, to be honest with you, for, particularly for a guy who has given so much to the goal. He's our most decorated player. Um, he's our most decorated player in our history. Um, you know, Carlesi is. Yes, yeah. In terms of, you know, Ulster Championships, All-Ireland, um, you know, all, I think he's four All-Stars. You know, he's a very, very decorated player and, and um, and so it's really disappointing the way the thing has sort of panned out and transpired and taken myself out of it. I was only trying to sort of help out and, and you know, add a bit of value to, to because I knew I was going to be around. But the bigger picture is much more important and much more serious. And that is we need to get our children back on the pitch again. We need to get our teams 
moving forward, you know, um, they're missing out on so much at the moment. And at the moment, it's it's really at an impasse. And I don't know, I really don't know where it's going to go over the next um, number of weeks. So there's what's happened and there's where it might go. But there's also why it has happened. Like, why is Carl Lacey not in charge of what he was in charge of? Why are you not? Like, do you think there's it's to do with personalities? Is it to do with structures? It's very hard to understand from the outside. Well, I mentioned about, you know, the confidentiality, like, the, you know, the people that, that selected the management team for this year, like that process was kept confidential, but then the people that they interviewed wasn't kept confidential. And then obviously, you know, it transpires that, you know, two of the people out of a three-man committee that selected the management team for this year end up on the, the backroom team. So there's probably a, a governance issue there that that, that that needs to be looked at for future reference anyway. And I do believe you're always better with five people on a panel when you're picking somebody anyway. Three is, is a small number because if you have somebody that's got a really strong opinion, you know, you only need one other person, you know, to, to be on. You're going to sway people. one, yeah. You want yeah, to sway one person then. Ah, and I think, you know, you're going to better, you're going to have better dialogue and better debate, you know. Um, so... So yeah, like I mean, it's 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 just one of these situations that is that has popped up. Uh, nobody has the answer to that question you asked. And would you like to, would you like to be in a Donegal dressing room? Listen, as I said earlier, like I couldn't commit to being the manager of Donegal, but I was I was happy to help out and um, and 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 you know do me bit in the same way you know I played for twenty years for my club. And when Martin Reagan says, "Will you come in and do a bit?" Sure, of course you will. Like you know, why why wouldn't you? Like you know, if you've got a bit of time on your hands at a at a given moment, um, of course you'll you'll try and help out and you'll do a wee bit with them. You know, and that that that's what it was. But the the bigger picture is. You know, we need um, we need everything to be looked at. We need the structures to be looked at. We need to understand what has happened, and we need ultimately the kids back on the field. That's the most important thing of all, because they, you know they they might end up not having a season at all. It's looking that way at the moment. To be honest with you, that's hard to believe, but it is. It's looking that way at the moment. James, do you have a view from across the border into into Donegal on what you've heard? Look, I, I, we haven't talked about this. It's, it's... I, because I've been in so many dressing rooms and, and, and so many setups and had so many rows with county boards and structures and frustration. Um, I'd be I'd be very reluctant to to um, you, you know say anything unless you're there or you know. But but going on what 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 Jim is saying and looking faced faced Carl many 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 times. Um, um, guys guys of of huge integrity we're talking about here. So so, so you know what when they're saying. What they're saying, I'd, I'd, I'd absolutely take that. Look, there's a lot of county boards and there's a lot of structures that are that are off, in 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 my opinion. And I, like I'm speaking from a Mayo point of view, we 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 have good players on the field, but the structures still aren't what 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 they should be. Um, when when the development squads and you know inter county uh, inter county is the showpiece, is the, the final team is the, is the showpiece and what. What sort of brings in a revenue or brings in a profile and you know gets younger players wanting to play, et cetera, et cetera. So that cycle has to happen and is key. If your underage structures, um, and again, I mentioned earlier on, I pull my hair out of some of the coaching that I see. Not that I'm the best coach in the world, but but at some of this coaching and what happens and the the, the communication around coaching to, to young kids, I find it incredible at times. Um so if that's not right and the setup for the kids for the for for the future isn't right for whatever reason sometimes it's egos sometimes the wrong people are just in the job uh whatever there's there's been something that's happened that there's people pulling against each other if that's not right you're under 14 your academies if they're not getting the level of support that they need you'll fall behind and eventually, you're, you, you know, the, the, the risk with this is, is that Donegal, and maybe it's even happening already, will fall from where they are. Their position in, in, in Gaelic football will, will fall. If it's, that, if it's that wrong at that level, it's only a matter of time before, before Donegal will, will drop down the rankings. Uh, and we don't want to see that. They're, they're a huge footballing county, and we, we want them up there. So there's no, there's no winners in a situation like this and just hopefully hopefully i think jim summed it up there getting players young guys enjoying their football 
looking looking at their 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 idols playing well for Donegal. That's that's what needs to happen. It is the most um it's the most successful era in in Donegal's history though, isn't it? If you if you think about it, uh, across 123 years of the Ultra Championship, first played in 1888, Donegal won just five Ulster senior football championships. And but Donegal have won five, if I'm right, since since you took over. From the time of you took over. So that's five championships. So and in all Ireland to 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 put in there. To and I speak as this, by the way, from a county who squandered a legacy of four All Ireland senior hurling championships, three All Ireland senior football championships. So that you can very easily end up in the third tier of hurling and the fourth tier of football if you blow it, if you blow this from All Ireland medal from All Ireland uh, levels. And that feels like what's happening in Donegal, Jim. Yeah, well, I think I think the most important. I think James hit the nail on the head there with the kids. Like you know, kids go to games, and you know, let's say Michael Murphy's in Clonus, and he's lifting the Anglo Celtic Cup. You know, and you've got sort of forty thousand people at the game, and half of them are from Donegal. You can be very sure that there's a cohort of kids there at that game that will look at that and see that and go, "That's what I want to do." That's who I want to be there. And the following morning, their mindset, that is the moment that they start thinking in a different way about their football and what they've done and what they want to do and everything else. And so it's 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 so important that you can keep on sort of feeding that sort of um, that aspiration that's inside every child. It's so important that they have those role models and those big days and those sort of benchmark moments where um where that penny can drop for them and i think that's probably you know people talk a lot about Kerry and you know um how how do they keep coming back again and again but there's never really that huge period where children don't get to see their heroes delivering and delivering on the big stage and what that cultivates and that has been proven in other sports as well it's been proven with golf and asia and and boxing and all the you know that that part of it that's very very real it's very very real and um there's there was actually a picture i think it might have been was it anti lawyer brendan devaney it was one of those players anyway that was playing and michael murphy was only a child and he was looking up into his eyes and it's just one of those moments you can see you know you can see where this is going type of thing and and that's that's incredibly important for every county in the country and for every it's just as equally important in Leitrim and donegal as it is in and dublin mayo it's so so important that and at the moment you know we're struggling with that, and 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 our, our the kid the next generation are not being exposed to intercounty training, and that 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 could be very detrimental, and that's the part I would like to see sorted out really really fast. I think yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head there as well. That that's how tradition works works by setting expectations and a and a, a pathway that you can see mm-hmm. to success. I'd like to say a huge thanks to you, Jim, for joining us today. On, on the podcast to, to James Horn as well. And James and Morris, thank you very much. Thanks to Larry Ryan for running the podcast, to Raf uh, Rocca and to Jack Neville, to Tony Lean and to everyone at Examiner Sport. A huge thanks to Allianz uh, for their support um, as well. Bimich Harnash Kalua. Allianz. Supporting all 32 counties through the Allianz Leagues.